Turn it open to Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 35. And we're also going to be reading from Romans 5, 6 to 11. Is that right, Les? Both those readings? Okay. Ron's going to come and read it. Now the first reading is from chapter Luke chapter six twenty seven to thirty five. Uh, I did not bring along my proper Bible today because I got to read small print. So anyway, Luke chapter six twenty seven to thirty five. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that for you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And then we go to Romans 5. Romans 5, 6 to 11. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were all still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I go to an Anglican church now and that's where I first gave this sermon. They always have two readings. So we're going to stay mostly in Luke. So if you want to have a Bible open, that's the best way, best place to be. Um, the other thing to let you know about when I first gave this sermon, it was to um, a special service for the
boys' school. There's a big boys' school at Armidale called Taz, and they're big into rugby. So there's lots of sports illustrations in what I'm going to say today. Um, but it's grand final season. I think some of us are sacrificing watching uh, the Wallabies play Argentina right now. So we'll get a little fix of sport uh, as, we, as we talk this morning. Uh, let me just quickly pray again. Loving Father, we thank you that uh, you love us. Uh, your scriptures say that uh, plain and clearly to us. And Lord, we just pray that uh, by your spirit we might be transformed to love the way that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So the idea, treat people the way that you'd like to be treated. It's actually a pretty common kind of idea. It's not just in churches that you'll find people speaking this way, people saying that this is a good way to live. As a school teacher, it comes up, I see it in school rules all the time. Schools are very quick to adopt this as one of their school rules. Treat other people the way that you'd like to be treated. It's good. Uh, often you'll even hear it said to kids in a, in a kind of a negative form, but still the same thing. They've done something wrong and you say to them, how would you like it if somebody did that to you? It's the same idea. Treat other people the way that you'd like to be treated. At, at school I teach this, um, this a lesson right on this passage out of Luke and Whenever the kids uh, see this, they say, that's the golden rule. The golden rule. And I think that's a pretty good way to, to think about it. The one, one way of living that kind of sits above all others, it's a pretty good philosophy on life. Treat other people the way that you'd like to be treated. But the kids are actually often surprised to find that this comes from Jesus, from the Bible, from the lips of Jesus himself. It's right there in verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So you might have come across people who have held this opinion that this is a good way to live, uh, but they otherwise would completely disagree with the Bible. But they have and they would and they always would agree that this is a really, really good way to live. You might be this kind of person. You might haven't... You might not have fully taken on Christianity for yourself, but you might think, yeah, this is this is pretty pretty good way to live. Well, we need to understand what Jesus really means by this. I want us to see that it is a really good way to live, and in fact, we should try with everything to live this way, to treat other people the way that we'd like to be treated. It's the best way to live. In fact, I think it paints a picture, a picture for us, of what the world should be like, could be like, what a perfect world would look like. One where love overrules. But then, I also want us to see that our lives don't actually measure up to this. We all fall short of this. While it, on one hand this is a beautiful picture of what life could and should be, in reality it acts more like a mirror. A mirror that shows us what we as people, what we as a society are actually like. But that's not where it ends because it actually ends with good news. The good news that this picture that's really a mirror actually is overcome by the picture that the Bible gives us of God and His grace and His love toward us. It becomes a picture for us of God's grace. So a minute ago I mentioned that the kids at school call this the golden rule. So I want you to think about some sports and their golden rules. Think about 
the game of tennis. Does anyone enjoy, to play, enjoy playing tennis? Is anyone a tennis? Does anyone enjoy watching it? Some of us, yeah. Tennis, I think it's got one golden rule. You hit the ball over the net, but land it in the court. If you get that right, well then, that covers like more than half of the game's rules, doesn't it? It's a fundamental idea of, of thinking. What about soccer? Um, does anyone play soccer or watch soccer? couple of people, yeah, that's all right. Um, it's got a pretty basic golden rule. You kick the ball into the net, don't kick it out of the field, and, you know, that's like half of the game. You get that right. What about a really simple sport like swimming or running? Swimming, running, you get from one end to the other, don't cross into someone else's lane, and if you're the fastest, you're the winner. Nice, simple golden rules. Golden rules are so fundamental, so fundamental to the game that it's actually what makes the game work. It's actually what makes... Without, without these rules, the whole thing would fall apart. It wouldn't really be soccer. It wouldn't really be tennis. It wouldn't really be athletics. Over the years, I can think of times where I've been with a big group of people, like it might, this could happen on the church family camp, and everyone goes, let's all play a game. Let's say touch football. Actually, touch football is a good example because what inevitably happens is that there's someone out there that has never, ever seen a football and the ball gets passed to them and they've got this ball in their hand and it's often a girl, but that's not, not to say anything. And what do they do? They go and they toss the ball up in front of them and, go, and then they kind of freak out and go, what was that about? See, if you don't understand the golden rules, then you're not really playing the game. Think about Jesus' golden rule. I think that Jesus' golden rule is such a good one that if everyone lived that way 100% of the time, well, there'd be hardly any problems in our world. Treat other people the way that you would like to be treated. Think about any conflict situation you've ever been in. How would it have been different if that person loved you the way that you'd like to be loved. If you loved them the way that they like to be loved. If you really did to others as you would have them do to you. If we lived that way 100% of the time, our world would be free of problems. These are pretty big calls of Jesus. So we've got to ask the question, who does he expect to do this? Well, right at the start of what we read... Jesus says, but to you who are listening. To you who are listening. And so we've got to ask the question, if we're Christians, are we actually living as Christians? If we're following Jesus, are we following the things that he said? Following Christ means living by his word. As Christians, we've got no choice. This is what it means. We follow him on these points. Actually, what we're reading here is part of kind of a longer longer discussion, a longer discourse that Jesus had just with his disciples. And what he was doing was talking to his disciples. He was giving them some instruction. He was like training them for the work that he was inviting them to do. This way of living is what would actually mark them out. It's what would help them to stand out. It's what would give them a legitimacy to what they was doing, 
to what they were saying. It, their word would actually be matched up with their life by living this way. This way of living, this way of living, it leads us toward good and right and healthy relationships, restored relationships. It's what this is about. See, relationships, all relationships, are never as good as they could be, even the best ones. And often, well, they're really not that good. There's a guy in my Bible study jokes that he actually gets a lot, likes our dog more than he likes most people. And that can be true, can't it? There can be a big list of people that we just don't get along with. Sin is the root of all these problems. As soon as sin entered the world, that's what happened. But relationships are made right because of what Jesus does, because of who he is, because of from everything from him coming to the world to his death and resurrection. It actually restores these relationships. Think about living this out, loving others the way that you like to be loved, treating other people the way you'd like to be treated. It restores relationships. And so his disciples, his followers, they're actually called to realize this in their own lives now. We, as his followers, as his disciples, are called to realize this in our lives now. How will we do that? It's actually everything else that Jesus says there. Loving their enemies, doing good, even to people that hate them. All the things that are listed there. And so as Christians, we need to be marked all over by these traits. If people interact with us, when they're here in the church building or when we're among them in our workplaces or schools or wherever we might find ourselves, they should interact with individuals and, as, and a community who are caring and loving and compassionate toward them. That's what Jesus is on about. I think that people should be able to expect that this is what Christian people are like. That if they turn to someone who they know is a Christian that they will be loved, that they will be accepted, and that they will be cared for. Now, unfortunately, that beautiful picture, that picture of people treating others the way that they like to be treated, it isn't the reality. While this is a beautiful picture of, life, um, of what life could be, like I've already said, this looks at us more like a mirror. It acts more like a mirror. You see, when I compare myself to the standard that Jesus puts forth in these verses, well, if I am honest with myself, I actually can see how unloving I am. How much hate might actually be there in my heart. And so I want to suggest a couple of things. Firstly, I think there's a problem in how we actually understand this. It's partly a problem in the world and it's partly a problem I think even Christians can be easily um, confused about what Jesus actually means here. And I'm talking about the do to others verse, the do to the others idea. I think our, in our culture and maybe in our churches, maybe in our Christian understanding, we're only taught to half live this way. We're taught that this is about what we shouldn't do rather than what we should do. And if that's not exactly what we're taught, it's at least what we think. Often we can read things in the Bible and think, well, how can I do that kind of, you know, the bare minimum kind of way? A bit like the way that we might approach 
our taxes? How can we get away with paying as little as possible on our taxes? How can I get away with loving my enemies as little as possible? How can I get away with treating other people the way that I'd like to be treated? Let me explain. See, I can hear this, do to others as you would have them do to you, and think of it more like, do not do to others the things I would not like to be done to me. It's a subtle difference, but we're going to think about it. See, if I choose, say, in my speech not to say nasty things to someone because I wouldn't want them to say something nasty to me, that's fine and that's good. That gets us somewhere, but that's not the same as what Jesus means. It's not the same as saying good or positive or uplifting or encouraging things. If I don't steal because I wouldn't like someone to break into my house and steal from me, that's good. We, should, we shouldn't steal. We understand that. But that's not the same as being generous. That's not the same as looking after people that are in need. See, at one hand, we can be really legalistic about these kind of verses in the Bible. But Jesus is on about transformed people. Often I think we think it's enough to just be aware to not treat someone in a certain way. I actually think this leads us to avoiding people. Think about the person at your workplace that really rubs you up the wrong way or the person that lives close by to you in wherever you live. If you resolve just to avoid that person, to not say anything nasty, you'll end up just cutting them out of your life. At both of the schools where I work in Armidale, I don't just work in one school like here in Evans, but there's two public high schools. And at both of the schools, there's teachers that make it very well known that they don't think I should be there. They don't think scripture should be happening in the school. And at different times, they go out of their way to make life hard for me. Some of them have actively engaged me in conversation and tried to um, tell me what they think. Other people have actually gone to uh, efforts to sabotage what I'm doing. As strange as it sounds, it's really happened. Caught me very much by surprise. But how I've responded to that isn't great either. Some of them I've just avoided. I barely even speak to them and rarely even acknowledge them. And I'm embarrassed to say that. And I've got to say that when I first uh, gave this sermon about three months ago, I was really convicted that that was not the right way and I've slowly made efforts to start to talk to some of these people. But there were others. Some of these teachers I actually engaged with, I actually listened to. I took the time to hear what they had to say. I took the time to understand where they were coming from. There's one lady in particular who actually got up in front of, during a presentation that I was giving to a whole year group. We were doing a scripture seminar And she started to share with me and everyone what she thought of what I was saying. And I let her go. And then I went afterwards and I had a really good conversation with her. And we've come to a place where we actually understand each other. Um, And, you know, it's actually meant that it's not an awkward relationship. One of respect now. One where I've actually had to work a lot more with her. And she, she, I don't know whether she's backed down in what she thinks, but she's certainly treating me a lot nicer. It's not a, it's not a relationship where there's just a cold grunt or a shuffle to the other side of the corridor. It's, it's starting to be restored in such a way that I'm, su- I'm sure if I bumped into her down the street, even there she would say hello and ask how I was going. 
So we've got to understand this the right way. Jesus is talking actively, do to others. Treat others the way that you would like to be treated. Not just avoid them, not just cut them out. Treat them. The rest of what Jesus says here shows that the do to others as you would have to do to them is meant to be a really positive experience rather than just avoiding a negative one. So Jesus actually says something far more radical than treat other people the way that you'd like to be treated here, like Matt shared with the kids. Jesus actually says, this is about loving your enemies. It's a hugely radical idea. Just listen to it. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt for them from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. In all of this, Jesus says how we treat people shouldn't actually have anything to do with how they treat us. It's a radical idea, but Jesus is saying it for a very good reason. Loving and doing good to people even who hate us. It's what he's on about. It's the way that the world will be restored. So I said there was two things I wanted to say, but this is the second, the second one. The second one is when I compare myself to this standard of living, I actually realise even more how far short I fall. To love people that are even my enemies, for you to love people that even are your enemies, it actually requires something outside of us. It requires something bigger than us. It requires an intervention that we have no power to bring on and no control over. What it needs is the grace-filled love of God himself. This passage reflects back to me not only what's wrong in my life, but it actually starts to give shape to what I need to fix it. And the way that this gets fixed is not through just trying that little bit harder to love my enemies, trying that little bit harder to be generous or to, um, to whatever's written there. It's actually to come back and remember the gospel. And that's why we read from Romans. See, while this passage gives us a picture of a perfect life and reflects back to us what the world is really like, what we ultimately need is the big picture, the big picture of God and His grace. See, Christian people shouldn't just be like this because Jesus said so. It's actually, we become like this as we're transformed by the gospel of grace working inside of us. There's two things I want to show you. I want to show you that Jesus was like this and secondly that God shows us, as treats us this very way as well. Christian people shouldn't just be like this because Jesus said so. You see, Jesus himself was like this. Jesus didn't just say, love your enemies to his disciples and then kind of send them off to go and do it. 
we remember the image of Jesus on the cross. What does he pray for the people that have crucified him? He says, Father, forgive them. I've played rugby for five seasons now. Thank you to Luke and Dale, who's moved down to McLean for getting me into that. And I love it. It's good fun. But um, two things I've worked out make me play better. Actually, it's one thing that makes me play better, but it's two things that my captain on the team does. Like I've had some good captains. I've had some average captains. Luke was probably the captain when I first played here, but that didn't help me much. But anyway... When my captain does two things, it really helps me to play a good game of rugby. And the two things that he's got to do is he's got to tell me what to do. Because even after five seasons, I still don't know half the rules. Rugby's too complicated. It doesn't have a golden rule. But the second thing that really helps me to play well is when my captain isn't too lazy himself to do the things that he's asking me to do. When he can get down in the rucks and malls, when he's keen to run the ball up... um, I lift in my game and I want to get into it. I want to get stuck in there. But when my captain is walking around hanging his head, telling others off for the mistakes that have gone on, then me or no one else wants to actually play for him. At this point, Jesus is actually our ultimate captain because throughout his life, he lived with such compassion that the people, for the people around him that his example of how to live this is perfect. It literally is perfect. He is the perfect human being. Back in chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel, um, he claims, Jesus reads part of the Old Testament and he claims that it's about him. But this kind of sums up the way that Jesus went about his life. I'll just read it for you. It's, it's when Jesus um, reads from the scroll of Isaiah and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. From that point forward, when Jesus went into this little, um, to this little synagogue and read that, what we see Jesus doing, at least in Luke's Gospel, but through all the, all the Gospels, is Jesus interacting and engaging with a whole segment of society that everyone else had left. They were a section of the community that were disrespected that was really seen as unlovable. They were seen as the the outcasts. They were people who seemingly had left a good religious life behind and in fact they were the enemies of the religious people. And what we see in Jesus' life is Jesus showing a genuine and great concern for them. And not only that, he's telling his followers that this is the way that they should live. Jesus had compassion on them. He sometimes healed them, sometimes he drove demons out of them. But in every case, he loved them. He treated them with value and dignity. He showed them God's grace. But there's even more to it than that. Jesus didn't just say, live this way, and in his own life, live this way. This way of living, this love for enemies, is ultimately the way that God treats all people. Humans collectively have become an enemy of God. 
Even if we just apply the question, have we always in our lives treated others the way we would like to be treated, we will see something about us that is imperfect. Our lives are made up of mistakes where we have done wrong things. But the biggest wrong thing that all of us do is to live as if God doesn't exist. This is bad because if God doesn't exist and what I do or don't do doesn't matter, then there's actually no reason to treat people the way that I'd like to be treated. And this will lead me to treating people that way. And I will ultimately treat God that way. Yet God, who is infinitely more powerful than any person, he actually chooses to hold out judging and punishing people for this rejection. Even though they themselves have made um, even though they have made themselves his enemy, he won't treat them like that. He won't treat us like that. The picture that we get of God from the Bible is that of a patient father who waits for his rebel child to come home to him. At the end of this passage in Luke, we read, um, Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Why? Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Who is God kind toward? It's not the religious, it's the ungrateful, the wicked. What is the Father like? He's full of mercy. God is a God who waits for his children to accept his unconditional love for them. We can believe, we can believe that God will treat us much better than we deserve because that's the kind of God he is. How can we be sure of it? How can we believe it? Because we see Jesus die to achieve it. Jesus died at the hands of his enemies to offer forgiveness to all of God's enemies. In that second reading from Romans, it says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. See, a Christian has no problem calling themselves a sinner an enemy of God. And when we really come to terms with that, then we should find that we have a lot more uh, in common with, that we can identify a lot more with the section of society that, that we disagree with or that we see as outcasts. A Christian can identify themselves as a sinner because they understand the depth of God's love that actually covers their sin. That actually lets us be comfortable calling ourselves sinners and accepting that because we see that the depth of our sin is matched, matched abundantly by the depth of God's love. At the heart of the cross we see God who loves us in spite of us not loving Him. A God who truly treats us the way that we would like to be treated even though it's not the way that we deserve to be treated. So what should we do about this? I'm going to suggest three things. Firstly, living a life built around do to others as you would have them do to you, it's a good idea. It's a good way to live. It should lead us to a peaceful kind of life and will generally make us a nice person. And it's easy enough to remember. Treat, how am I treating this person? 
Would I like to be treated that way? And we can get on with it. Live this way. However, I don't think you and I can ever expect to perfectly do it. We're never going to get this right. And that actually leads to my second suggestion. When you read the Bible for yourself, don't move on from reading the Gospels. Like, read all of it, but always be there in the Gospels, understanding Jesus, looking at his life, imitating his life, coming to understand, letting yourself be transformed by it and shaped by it. And if you're not a Christian, and some of you might not be, have a go at this. Have a go at reading about Jesus. Ask yourself, did he really live up to his own standard? Did he really love his enemies? And I want to suggest that if you find that he did, it's likely that he can help you to live that way as well. And if he did, it's really, it's likely that God really does treat people this way too. And I hope that you might come to understand Jesus and the gospel. And so my third suggestion, and this suggestion is more of a, I really hope that we will get on with this. I really hope that this is how my life will pan out and yours as well. And it's this, that we continually accept God's loving forgiveness. That we continually accept that. That we continually open ourselves to accept the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. To be humble enough to admit our need for it. Now, this is the most important one because without accepting it, we actually remain an enemy of God. And that's not a good situation to be in at the end of our lives. And I think as we work out this third thing, as we work out the accepting of, of God's forgiveness, it actually transforms us. It transforms us into a people who can love out their enemies who can treat people the way that they'd like to be treated. Because what it does is restore in us a clean and purified heart. A heart that won't just treat people well because we see it as the right thing to do, but because it's a heart that's been transformed by the God that's loved us in spite of what we're like. That we might come to care about people even partly the way that God cares about us. Let me pray to that end. Loving Father, we thank you for Jesus and his words, his words of wisdom, his words of how to live a good life. And Father, we just acknowledge to you humbly that we don't live that way. And even with all our energy and our best efforts, we won't measure up to that standard. So Father, We look to you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness. We pray that as you you have mercy and kindness on us, that you might so humble our hearts that we would be open to accepting your love for us and your forgiveness. And Lord, I just pray that as you forgive us and work that out in our lives and transform us, that we might become people that do love our enemies that do love people the way that you love them. And we pray that this might be to uh, joy and, and your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.